And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So how do you dominate business-to-business sales? This is not a question that we are probably going to completely answer in one episode because it's broad, it's deep, there's a whole lot of input we can give you, and I got an expert to have the discussion with today. Before I introduce him, today's episode of Startup Hustles powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link for that in the show notes. With me today, I've got Adam Springer, and Adam is the founder of Startup Sales. You can go to startupsales.io. There's a link for that in the show show notes as well, and learn more about what Adam's up to. Straight out of Tel Aviv, Israel, Adam, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this may be my first guest that was in Israel when we recorded, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know what? Let's just let's get things started with a little more about your backstory, and then we'll drop the knowledge we 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 think we have on B two B sales. So I won't give you my whole life story because uh, I don't think that would be too too interesting for most people. But I'll tell you where it begins with B two B sales. So I uh, actually I had two companies in America when I was living there, and went on vacation in Israel just to go do some scuba diving having a lot of fun. They offered me a job as a diving instructor. I said, screw it. Let's, let's stay. I shut down my businesses and stayed for three years as a diving instructor. Um, and then, uh, then after, you know, three years, your mind kind of goes numb, uh, being a professional beach bum. So I, I joined the startup scene here in Tel Aviv and, uh, been growing my career ever since that. I like the I like the uh, the approach pattern to scuba diving instruction. I've been uh, an amateur farmer for part of this year, um, and yeah, there's some some allure to it. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, a lot of people listening are going to be entrepreneurs, founders. They want to be, or maybe work around them. And you know, obviously, B two B sales is a big part of a lot of our businesses. You know, as the CEO and founder of Full Scale, that's all I do. Um, you know, it, it really is a big topic to unwrap in, you know, a 40 minute podcast. Uh, where do you want to start? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I'll give you a little bit more background for the people that are listening. Um, I've been the first salesperson of four, uh, startups going from zero to a million in under a year and then scaling up to 10, 20 million, depending on the company. Uh, Three successes, unicorns, IPOs, one failure. But I think that that background is important to know where I'm coming from. I think we should talk about the mistakes. We could start with the mistakes that founders make. Is that good for you? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like okay. it. So I think the some of the biggest mistakes that founders make is uh, is not starting. Uh, oh, yeah. And 
that that to me is, you know, oh, I've got to build the right website or I need to have this up and running before. I need to have a better product before. And they don't understand that, A, sales is not just going to come as soon as you have the greatest product in the world. Even if you do have the greatest product in the world, sales doesn't just show up at your door knocking. Uh, so that's one. Uh, another mistake that's kind of tied to that, they'll be like, okay, well, I, I will start right away or now's the right time to start, uh, but I don't want to do it. I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. I've, except for in my own personal experience, I've never met a first hire or a company that hi hired a, their first sales hire that was successful. They've always failed miserably. And the reason for that is because the founder really needs to learn what that process looks like themselves, but not just for the sales process, which has benefits that we could get into, but also so that you could have your finger on the pulse and understand who your prospects are, what problems they have, what pains are they having, and how does your product help them? Rather than looking at it feature-based, hey, I've got this feature, I've got this feature, it needs to be more, hey, this is the problem that we're solving for you. And that's, you only learn that when you're having the conversations yourself. Have you listened to this show before? Because I use that phrase, <laughs> keep your finger on the pulse of your business a lot. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never heard anybody else say it just like that. I mean, and I, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, like, you know, just because you build it doesn't mean that they're going to come. Um, I think it's good for a founder to do every job at the business. Uh, sales is obviously an important one. And I think that, uh, you know, in Congress with what you were mentioning, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is, is like you said, waiting too long to start it. And whether you have the product out or not, you should be selling. I think the, the being involved in the sales process, which so many tech founders don't want to do because they're, um, because selling things isn't always what they're passionate about. Creating the product and the benefits that it creates for people is what you're a little more passionate about. But if you want to see, I don't know, I think that all parts of life are sales. And, you know, whether you're trying to sell your wife on what you want for dinner or me trying to <laughs> sell my daughter about why she needed to put her shoes on faster for school today, uh, you're still selling, uh, you know, you're, you're still <clears throat> solving a problem. And, you know, trying to get out there. And, and I think the best part about it from a product standpoint is if a founder or their team do want to be obsessed with product, you're going to uncover all of all the objections that people have pretty early. And I think that that's a big part of like understanding the buyer's journey. Um, I think more the more you can do to empathize with that, the better off you're going to under, understand it. I think, and then since we're on the mistake train, um, I think too many people that, especially when you haven't built a sales organization, they spend too much time. They, they, they find a way to make the sales process about them. And it needs to be about your customer, your client, your buyer, your user, whatever it is that you call them at your business. Those are the people that are going to pay the bills. And, and, not, and in any business, nothing really happens until something is sold. There's nothing so to I, ship, there's I nothing to account for, there's nothing to rebuild, repair, service, any of that. Yeah. So, you know, sales needs to be the biggest thing, but so many people just avoid it just altogether. Yeah, I think, uh, as, as you said, it's, it's not about you. You shouldn't have your slide deck ready to, hey, here's my history. Here's what our founding team's history is. They, they don't care. Nobody cares about your story. They don't care about the, you know, your history. They care about the problem they have and what you solve. And I think as to kind of expand on what you were saying, it's also, you should be looking at not 
what features you have, not about you. You need to, sales is not scary. You shouldn't look at sales as I need to convince you of to do something. I, don't, I need to convince you to buy something. It should be, I'm here to help you. You have a problem. Let's hear what your problem is. Let's see if there's a, a partnership, not one, somebody on another level. Let's see if there's a partnership here where we could help each other. You help me by giving me money. I help you by solving your problem. And, and that's when you really get down to changing your mindset about what sales is and looking at more at a partnership, then it becomes easy. And I mean, there's, I mean, not easy, easy, like you're going to walk down the street tomorrow and sell a million dollars worth, but a much easier and less scary than what you I think. People get scared of sales because there's a lot, there's a whole personality style that doesn't want to feel salesy. They don't want to be viewed as trying to sell you something. Hey, here's a wake up call people. Everyone has to try to sell something. Just like I said at the beginning of the show, it's whether it's an idea to your husband or wife or whomever, um, to all of it, it is all selling. Now you use the word feature. Now uh, with that, I don't like the word feature existing in a solo capacity. It always has to have the advantages and benefits that it provides along with it. And this is back to that understanding that the client journey or the, the customer journey, you know, if you have a better understanding of what problem you're solving, what value that creates and, and, and the advantages that you have over competitive products or situations and then the benefits, because the benefits is what people buy. That's what makes people buy anything. And a benefit of buying can be everything from my favorite one, which is peace of mind. Um, how, you, how do you put a price tag on that? If you can give someone peace of mind in a, in a buying situation, you're not going to have the problem of not selling. You're going to have the problem of keeping up with having enough stuff to sell. Um, and then, you know, I mean, obviously making in the B2B capacity, anything you can do that makes money or saves money. I have learned um, with, you know, now almost 30 years of experience as a salesperson that um, when you sell something that generate that creates a revenue boost, people seem to look at that a lot different than something that saves money, but don't look past the cost savings because saving money is making money. So find a way to explain that and break it down. And I think the last part, and I'm not trying to sound long-winded here, but um, you know, uh, if you can, uh, don't assume that your buyers or your customers or your prospects understand any of what I just mentioned, like the features, advantages, or benefits, don't just assume that they inherently understand that find a way to quickly and easily breeze past it and just mention it. And then you don't, uh, you, you, you'll, you'll see it on the faces of people that like, Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought about that. And that's kind of a big deal. Um, I think what's really important for the audience is everything you said is 100% true. However, don't use that same kind of language when speaking to your prospect, because if yeah. you speak in that, like, here's, here's the benefit to you, here's, yeah. you know, you need to speak in their language. They're not, don't make it seem like a sales process. Don't speak to them human to human. <clears throat> Talk to them, you know, about their problems and ask them open-ended questions that are directed enough that they could talk more uh, rather than you talking about just benefits and uh, saving cost savings and time savings, things like that. Cause that won't get them. It might get a small proportion, but it won't get the full amount of people that you could really get. If you get them to talk about their problems and say, Hey, let us show you how we could solve that for you. 
Here's an example. Adam, what's the biggest problem that you need to solve at your business right now? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> See, but, that, but that's a great, that's a great question to start the conversation with. Say like, Hey, look, we do a lot of things and there's a lot of features, advantages, and benefits. I don't want to waste your time. Tell me what problem you're trying to solve. Now, in some cases, like at my business at full scale, if they fill out the online form and kind of define what their needs are and stuff like that, they've answered some of that. I still ask the question anyway, because you hear Adam chuckle and go, Oh man, where do we start? Well, at that point, become a listener. And what do you, would you mind sharing? What is a problem at your business that you want to solve? And we'll see if we can, we can uh, role play this for two minutes. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is I'm at a point where I need to expand my team further. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm bootstrapped. I'm not a VC backed company. Uh, so it's, it's time to expand the team further, which is always a good problem, but it's also a difficult problem. Um, so this is, this is my problem is I'm being pulled in all different directions. Yeah. Most founders are, when you talk about expanding your team, which roles are, have more priority for failing than others? <clears throat> Have more priority for failing? No, for failing the. Failing oh, for the, failing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the ones that take the most time away from me. That's See, now what we're I want we're, to focus we're on. very quickly <clears throat> moving into selling peace of mind. Yeah. Right. Because as a founder, and this is, and so many people listening to this are like, "Oh, I feel that way." You just like you wake up wanting to do certain things every day, and then the business dictates what you're going to get to do that day. Yeah. And that doesn't generate a lot of peace of mind. And, and so, all right. So an example would be, so, all right. So, you know, at full scale, we, we help businesses like yours, um, fill roles that are related to software developers, testers, leaders. And if you were in that particular space, you said, I bet you, because you're a technical founder, Adam, we're playing role play here. I bet you find yourself doing a lot of the work yourself. And that gets in the way of possibly looking for other people to help you. And then, you know, you say, oh, yeah, if I have that bad habit, you know, what are you worried about? Well, I'm worried I'm going to hire the wrong people. Okay, well, that's what we help you with. We're sorting out the 40 people you didn't want to hire because it takes us over 40 applicants to give a job offer. You know, we've got people, processes, and platform to help you manage that, too, so it's not a headache for you to get something started. And so that's, that's a, it, and what I just did there was take what he was concerned about. I did make a few assumptions, um, but I mean, anybody that goes to, in that particular case, hire someone is worried they're going to get the wrong people. They're going to, you know, I don't know. You, you see how that goes, but how does that benefit him? Well, I just told him it's going to be fast. It's going to be easy. If for some reason, the, anyone that's added to your team doesn't work out right away, we'll take them back. We're not going to charge you for that couple of weeks. We're going to put someone else, work with you to put someone else in that seat and boom, quick and easy. And then sometimes I'll throw things in. I say, oh man, I don't know if you remember the last time you posted a job ad, but you remember all those interviews and you go through nine of them and you're like, why am I even on an interview with this person? And so sometimes I'll throw some things out that'll, that'll be relatable. But I think that that's a big part of like with B2B, I think having a strong relationship is an important thing. And that's built around trust and understanding. Yeah. I think what you, what you just said there is like, I, I like to call it uh, rubbing salt in the wound. 
Yeah, a little bit with it yeah. without without being a jerk <laughs> about it. You know, like, hey, I bet your business sucks because of yeah. this. Don't do that. Like, you want it, you want to be a helper though, and that, I mean. I think one of the things with B2B sales that's been good for me at, at, at full scale is I identify and relate to the problems that our clients have because I had those problems and started the business to fix them for myself. You know, and it wasn't the business the way it is now. I had enough of my peers saying, man, I've got these same problems. I'm like, you know what? We might be able to fix it. Yeah. And next thing you know, we've got a business with over 300 people that work at it. And you know, now with, you know, one of the things that I think if you're new to B2B sales is you need to understand that in most situations, they take a lot longer than the normal sale. The sales cycle for B2B can be excruciatingly long for certain things you might be selling. So how do you, how do you recommend people understand that and know when it's going way too slow or when, hey, we're really on the right track here? Um, the, the easiest way that I found is to fill your funnel with more people that, that just solves all these problems. It will help you learn quicker through being able to have more conversations, um, which will help you as it, as everything processes down the funnel, it helps you give, get data. So you start, could start measuring, okay, how long does it take from when they, our first conversation to a demo from a demo to a POC from a POC to a contract. Um, and so once you start getting people into your funnel, uh, then you could actually see where the holes are, where, where things are going slower, where things are going quicker. And then you'll see, Oh, this, this one that took three months that I feel really positive about. Well, I just closed three other ones that were in three weeks. So obviously there's something wrong there. Um, so that's why I think getting more in your sales funnel will help solve most of these problems. Yeah, I want to talk more about how to get more people in your sales funnel, but when, with these conversations that occur too. So when it comes to sales, I have two four letter words that are, are king and queen in my process. The first one is sold. Everyone's favorite four letter word as a salesperson should be sold. Your second favorite should be next. Like, and next goes a lot of different ways. If you, sometimes, I don't know, everyone that's been in sales, you know, you're sitting there and you know, without a doubt, you were talking to someone that is not a good fit to buy your product for whatever reason, why keep the conversation going forever? So when you say next, it's about moving on, knowing when to move on down the line, not all Sales are created equally. Not all buyers are created equally and not all situations are, are equal. So like you and mentioned, that's, and that's really difficult. And that's, that's why I said, like, if you get more in your pipeline, yeah. it makes it more comfortable for you to be able to say no to somebody. Right. Right. Well, and you can, and, and as a business, like, so we say no to people all the time um, because when we do say no to someone, it's because we don't feel it's the right fit. For what we're doing, which means you're going to end up with a bunch of pain in the ass stuff. And for us, if, if people are a real pain in the butt on the way in, why are they going to be any different when they're a client? And in <laughs> our case, we have to have our employees working with clients and their teams every day. If we're sending our folks in <clears throat> to situations that they're not excited about or comfortable with, then they don't want to do the job eventually, or they won't, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody shows up to work at a place that they don't want to be at and does great. 
fire, so fire your client. It, it feels really I've good. Done it. I've done it. I've done it a few yeah. more than once and yeah. it's a weird feeling. And, and, you know, sometimes it even occurs at, it's easy to say, well, I should hang on to this. I don't want to lose the business. I don't want to lose the revenue. But if that business and revenue is costing you opportunities, because all you're doing is focusing on this one client out of like a hundred, you know, then we have the, these things like the 80, 20 rule. How about the like 97 and three rule? Like there's a lot of times three clients that are going to get more attention and needs. And they're usually not your, I don't know, at our business, the biggest clients they and the ones that spend the most are usually the ones that we need to have the least amount of interface with because they have a they have a fine tuned process for doing stuff and different. Have things. you read so, the book? Um, I'm just looking it up now. 10x is easier than 2x by Benjamin yeah, Hardy. I think it, well, I think I have a copy of. It. I'm looking <laughs> up in my bookshelf too. I, maybe I've listened to so many Audible books on the way yeah. over to the Philippines and back that I think I have listened to that one. Yeah, I'm reading it now and it's kind of very much aligned with what you were just saying right now. What's the biggest takeaway from that? <laughs> Don't or try to grow your business just by 2x. Think much bigger because it's actually easier to grow your business by 10x than 2x. Um, Is that because the clients or the buyers become bigger if you're aiming for Like if you go out fishing, you should be ready to catch a whale, not just minnows. Well, because, and it's also about your focus and your attention. You mm -hmm. know, you, you have to change, drastically yes. change focus. If you want to drastically change where you are, you can't keep doing the same thing. Like, okay, I could, I could keep doing what I'm doing and double my revenue tomorrow. And that's great. But then I'm, it's not really changing much. But if I say, okay, I need to take 80% of my workload off my plate and, and give that the 80% that's not, really bring much value and pass that off to somebody else on my team. And I work focus on take that 20% and do that hundred percent of my time. Boom. There's, there's a huge drastic increase in the business that I have. Yeah. And that, and you know, the opportunity cost is what you just described there. And you know, I, if, if you're not aware of the term opportunity cost is the value of what you chose to not do. Yeah. And if you, and that, that's where I have an issue. And I want to talk a little bit about finding like expert salespeople before we do that. I want to remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use full scales platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. You can visit fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link for that in the show notes, as well as a link to startupsales.io which I clicked right before we hit this recording. You can find more information about Adam, including how to book him or um, get more information and services from him. So go ahead and check that out. Now, at the beginning of the show, we mentioned wanting founders to get in and be active with sales. Um, that, you know, for me, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm an excellent salesperson. I feel very comfortable saying that. With that, I do have a problem sometimes hiring salespeople, and I have had to, as I've gotten older, teach myself to be more patient because they're not going to be you right away. Like you own the company. You're the one that's most passionate about the problem you're solving, at least in theory. And it's going <laughs> to be a little so. easier for, it's going to be a little easier for a buyer to answer your emails as a founder, especially with a bigger company too, you know, like. And so I, I remember that when our company was growing and it was growing quickly, you talk about that like 10 X kind of sales, we got there pretty quickly. 
And I remember asking one of our first salespeople, I was like, well, reach out and call, reach out and email. And, and the dude was like, Matt, I'm a sales guy. No one's trying to take my calls. If you reach out, they're going to answer a little more or a little more often, or they might take it a little more seriously. And, he, and I was like, okay. He goes, what do you spend most of your day doing? I was like trying to avoid salespeople. Um, you know, and so some of that is like, you, I think you have to have your expectations in a good place. So how do you teach or coach people to make that transition from you being the primary salesperson to other people doing it? That's a loaded question. It is. It <laughs> is. And I'm sorry about that. No, I think, um, first of all, just jump, jump right into the deep end and just start doing it. You'll learn along the way. Uh, there's no role playing. It has a purpose in, in this whole uh, thing, but it's nothing like the real world. So just jump in and start doing it. But how is it different? I mean, I always like to teach my, my team and my uh, companies I come in and help. Don't treat it like sales. Tre uh, talk to people like you already know them. Talk to them like you already are in a relationship with them. And then it doesn't become salesy and it doesn't become pushy. So you don't hit that objection as much. Um, you still always get it. But even if you're the CEO, people will reject you. So get over it. Objections are good, though. Yeah, that's where you I mean, learn. It means people are interested. I think that's a big <laughs> mistake that rookie salespeople make. They're like, this guy's asking so many questions. I'm like, that's good. Yeah. People that don't have objections and people that don't ask questions are usually just nodding their head until they can get off the call. Or out of the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, you should have sold them already. One, of, the, one the, of those. I put out a cold outreach uh, campaign last three weeks ago, four weeks ago um, for one of my clients. And we probably spent, sent four or 5,000 emails um, and not getting any responses. Now, this is really, really bad. And trying to figure out what's really going on. Because I want the negative responses. I'm looking for negative responses. Yes, positive are great. And that's at the end of the day what we're getting. But negative responses as well are really helpful for learning. Hey, people are reading my emails. People are responding to my emails. It helps just as much as positive emails, positive responses. Yeah, and we need, and I'm glad you mentioned that because we need to circle back around to filling up the funnel. Because if we don't talk about that, like, I mean, hey, give me a full <laughs> funnel and we'll make magic happen. Uh, I think the harder part is getting people into that thing. Now, you mentioned like sending 5,000 emails and nobody replies. That's not uncommon. And, you know, I, I do bold stuff. I'll, I'll title my email. My email will come with a subject line with something like blatant sales pitch. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to try to mislead you. If you ever send me an email that that on the first send looks like I, it's a response, like R-E colon, you're done. I'm not going to open it. Like trying to deceive me or trick me into reading your message is not going to turn into me making an appointment with you or clicking anything else. Like, and that's what I said. Sometimes that, that, so by the way, blatant sales pitch is easily the most opened email we send like, I mean, it's, it's a got huge open rates. Like, I mean, it's like three times more and it gets more results. And, and there's some people that probably just delete it, but they open it. And then that's the thing. It's like, Hey, I'm not going to try to mislead you. I'm not going to try to trick you into thinking that's your response here. This is we sell stuff. You appear to be a buyer. 
it's not written quite like that, but here's some ways we can help you, you know? And I think with that, I mean, and I don't know, it's tricky. It's a noisy world out there. So advertising and outreach and calls and a lot of that, eh, they don't really land as well as they used to. Agree to disagree. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me why. <laughs> tell me why. Um, I think most people are having a harder time or failing because they are sticking with older approaches. Maybe it worked a year ago, but it doesn't yeah. work today. You always have to be adapting. You always have to be changing. And, and some people are just not giving it a proper try. It's like, oh, I sent 500 emails. That's good. No, that, no. remember the story I told you where we didn't get any responses. Yeah. And thousands of emails. That was a try. And, yeah. and that was only the beginning until we get into a later stage. Once we figure out the right messaging, then we could actually scale up. By the way, we, we made some, some major changes and then we found out what, what was working, what wasn't working. And then boom, all of a sudden now we're getting huge responses for them and, and four five, six meetings a week, uh, for them from an email campaign. What do you think? So, what, what were some of the mistakes with the outreach that, <laughs> that when you look back or, or do you, what do you see regularly? So what I see regularly in, I mean, I'm getting better at, at when I onboard a new client is, is kind of taking this air away, but most founders, when they start and you're trying to define who your ICP is, your ideal client profile, they start going off of either way too vague or they go off of who they think it is or the, who they want to go after. So where this failed was they wanted to go after this new target market. And so they were tell I asked, okay, who are your clients? They started telling me this persona, but it wasn't actually who their clients were. Their yeah. clients were somebody else. As soon as we figured that out and, and we changed it the next week, I got eight, eight, uh, bookings for them because we just went over to who they're actually getting, uh, business from. We know now deeper who, what problem they're solving. So that goes back to that messaging, writing good messaging, strong messaging. Boom. That really is what is key there. Yeah. Right. Messaging wrong audience doesn't, doesn't equal anything. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've run into that. I've, I've found that, you know, within our own organization and, you know, I think some of it is, I, I don't know, go right after decision makers. You know, I think too many people spend any time they're out there knocking at the front door and it's already wide open, you know, in many cases. And, um, you know, shoot your shot in that regard. I, I, it is uh, pretty unbelievable how how so many businesses don't understand their ideal client profile um, and who is going to actually make decisions. And, and now it's a lot easier in our case because, like, obviously, if your company has a chief technology officer, then you probably are. I don't know if you're an ideal client, but you are you are adjacent to it. So yeah. some of that is like, you know, let's start with, within your own industry or I don't know, so many B2B platforms solve specific niches within certain industries. Things like LinkedIn make it very easy to narrow down that ad profile in many cases, or at least find leads. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things that we should probably get into is like, have you ever been around a B2B sales organization that was elite that wasn't also elite at prospecting? one company out of but, all all of the memory right yeah, but, but they had 
I mean, they had a, an amazing, amazing marketing team with a lot of content and they, they were able to niche down super quickly right from the beginning and learn from that. Uh, but that's rare and very expensive. But that's so still prospecting well in well. some ways. That's that's marketing. Yeah, but, it's but not that's outbound prospecting, but yeah, versus inbound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And prospecting. I mean, the 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 best salespeople and the best sales organizations I've ever been around are good at going and finding whatever it is, you know, and like, I'll just use full scale again, as an example, like there's so many people that have a job at up for stuff. That, I mean, we help people fill <coughs> employment seats. So if you're advertising for a PHP software developer, that means your company is a lead. And yeah. there are, for us, there are hundreds of thousands of these leads out there all the time. So you know, that, I mean, there shouldn't be a shortage of looking at that. Now I've got this, uh, this, I, I, I have a formula, 10, eight, four, two, one, you got to find 10 people, eight people actually acknowledge that you're an alive human and pay attention to you. There's going to be 20% of people are just gone right out of that 10, four people might be interested in what you're selling. Two of them might be qualified and you're hoping one actually buys. So in your particular case, like with the 5,000 emails, <coughs> immediately 4,000 of them are who were hoping pays attention. Yeah. 800 of them might actually be qualified. 200 of them might be able to buy and you would be hoping that one, 100 did. And that'd be outstanding. You'd be out, and like I said, might buy, not yeah. does buy, might. So, and, and how are that 108421 works out for you? But, but here's the thing, that formula never triggers if you don't start with the 10 or the 100 or the 1,000 or the million and work your way down. Unless you sell Pepsi or Coke or something like that, you know, that appeals to everyone, you're going to have to start narrowing it down. goes with that uh, cheesy line, how do you walk a, a million miles? One, one step, step at a time. time. Yeah. Or how do you eat an elephant? It, yeah, it's like yeah. how do you eat an elephant one bite yeah. at a time and start yeah. with the tail? Um, yeah. So, all right. So, you know, when you look at like, I, I mean, what about the evolution of like software tools and things like that? There's a lot of automation and, and things out there that I think people get wrong because, you know, I get these automated robo messages and emails and they don't really land well that with me because they're just very impersonal. And a lot of times they're from my competitors, like people that sell my same product are reaching out to me, trying to sell to me. You talk about the wrong client profile, but. Well, first of all, unless you're selling seven plus figure um, type product, you're going to want to do some level of automation. Um, and I love automation. Now, as you were saying, most automation has been terrific. However, most people look at it and they don't put in the energy and the effort needed to make it work properly. So it's just yeah. like, oh, okay, LinkedIn automation. I'm just going to blast 100 people a day and oops, I got my LinkedIn account blocked or I, I failed miserably. It doesn't work. Yeah. No, it, it, it works. I'm, I'm getting eight, eight, six to eight conversations a, a week for my, on my, each profile I'm, I'm doing automation for. So it works amazingly well when you have the right messaging, when you've targeted the right audience, when you've put the work and effort into it. So the automation is amazing. I think everybody should use it, but you need to learn how to use it or get help from the right person. 
Well, and examine your timing of the delivery of those. Like you talk about LinkedIn. One thing that drives me nuts is when I get a connection. So I got about uh, just under 30,000 connections on LinkedIn. And when I accept a new one and I'm immediately getting solicited, it's a big turnoff for me. You know, and it happens every single day, more than once, you know, and, 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 you know, but I don't know if it would be a turnoff for you if the right messaging came. I mean, I, I do do agree with you. It's never the right messaging. 99% of the time, it's not the right messaging. It sounds like shitty dating app conversations. It'd be like, hi, Adam, I noticed that we have a lot of stuff in common. I thought we might network together and see if we can find some common ground. It, it needs like, to be more the, the avenue you take with your emails. Yeah. It's like, this is a blatant sales page, yeah. but it needs not obviously that, but like it needs to be conversational. It needs in with LinkedIn. You need to look at it. Like pretend like you're just met this person at some lunch event. What would you say to him? How would you like, you're not going to go and sell right away. You don't pitch right away that you never do that in person. So why do it on LinkedIn? Start having a conversation. That's the only goal is to start a conversation with your your prospects on LinkedIn. Once you have a conversation going, now I like to get it under three steps into a uh, into a meeting. One or two is great because LinkedIn sucks for actual communication. Uh, <laughs> but you start that conversation. That's the first step. Same with email. First, get the permission to send more information or just get them to say, yes, they're interested. You know, don't ask for the meeting right away. Don't go for the sale right away. It's too strong. It's too, it turns people off like you. Well, I think some of that too is, it, well, in some cases, and, and you're right, the bright messaging, which I rarely ever see, um, you know, I'm a get to the point kind of person, to be honest. Like, I mean, you can do that with me. Um, I actually don't want to do the small talk. I don't want to, I, I don't want to do a call with you to figure out if, if, to learn who you are, you know, like some of that, like, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I get that a lot, a whole lot, you know, and, and it's, and some of that, it just, like I said, it feels, it feels robotic and spammy. I think the key is, is you need to figure out where and how you can provide value and you need to operate under the principle of you need to make deposits before you can make withdrawals. I think that's how relationships work. I think that's how B2B relationships work. And if I don't have, like, if I don't have, I, asking for a sale before you establish any value or you see if it, it just, you just feel like the guy that's on the sidewalk somewhere busy that literally asks everybody to walk, that walks by to buy something. Yeah. You know, now, by the way, that guy probably sells a lot more than the person who doesn't ask, but, and that's honestly what probably what we should talk about before we run out of time is how often are you asking when the time is right? Because people will build that relationship up and then they kind of fail to be like, hey, did you want to go ahead and get started? Or, you know, when can we deliver this? Well, every every time it's a conversation because I don't do cold calls, although I'm not opposed to them. It's just my business. I, I go emails and LinkedIn. Uh, but every step, every back and forth, you need to be driving the momentum forward. Yeah. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be a, a conversation just to say great or to get you nowhere, get you no know, progress. It has to have progress, but you need to look at what is the next step for the conversation, not what is the next step to get them sold or to get them on the meet. Well, that's, and that's where asking the right questions, what are the problems you need to solve? What are some issues that you've had in the past that you're hoping to avoid in the future? How soon did you want to get started? 
notice that none of this is like, how much money do you want to spend and, and how fast? I yeah. mean, you know, I will ask that though. I say, you know, how soon are you thinking about getting started? One of That's my favorite un- questions it's is- It's an uninvasive question. Yeah. One of my favorite questions is invasive is when I'm actually on a, like a discovery call is, uh, you know, if they're using a competitor, okay, why are you looking, why are we talking? Do you, are I you happy that. with them? Oh, yeah. what, are you, what are you not happy with, with them? What's working? That, that what's sounds not working? a red flag for me too, though. Cause like, if I talk to someone and they're on like their fifth software development company and looking for another one, I'm kind of starting to wonder too. I'm like, is it them and not everyone else. So yeah. But, but you only find out why is it everybody else by asking what happened in those other ones? How, and another good one is uh, how much do they charge? I always like mm. that because then if you find out like, no, oh, they're, they're, more with or less. Competitor, yeah. they're more, they're paying more then there's going to be no negotiation with the price. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's always fun. Well, some of that, like with our business, we don't do that. Our price is our price. If you yeah. want it to go down, spend more. And we've got some built-in discount structures and and stuff like that. Because, you know, some of that, the, the, the tone and the timbre that you set with a new prospect is what you're going to get to live with through the rest of that relationship. So like in our case, if I'm negotiating the contract price on every single person, I can expect that to always be the case with that client. And some of it, we have a fair, we have a fair price for an excellent delivery. And that is what it is. I just find that it's, I don't know, we could probably do a whole nother episode about the importance of saying no when selling. Like I have sold more stuff for a lot more because I know the word no. You know, can, can you do this? No. Like, cause keep in mind that most buyers, especially ones that, just like, well, I also asked that as a buyer. So I actually bought a dog for my, for my wife and my kids recently. And I got 30% off on the price by just asking, is this the best price that you can give me? Well, what did you have in mind, sir? I don't know. Why don't you go look into that and surprise me? You know, I, I wasn't expecting the guy to come back super. 30% off. And, and honestly, I was going to buy the dog anyway. So, you know, but I asked for a discount if I'm buying clothes or if I'm at the yeah. supermarket. Hey, can you give me 10%? Can you give me a discount? Like, uh, you'd the, be surprised how often they say yes and they just bring, put up a discount. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, the amount of money I've saved in life with that approach has been tremendous. Uh, it's a little harder to do at Walmart than it is to do at, you know, like, um, you know, a bunch of different places. So, hey, let's not get out of here without plugging your podcast, man. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, startup sales podcast. We talk about uh, startup sales, anything to help. We like to have very actionable episodes. So kind of more of like a to-do list kind of conversation so that when people are listening, they, they could sit there with a notepad, write down what they need to do, what they need to work on, if, if that's a topic that is important for them. Thank you for having a sales anything that isn't just about six tips to sell more. <laughs> like that, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I think that's where we can probably kind of round things out here and end is look, the, the way you need to set up to dominate B2B sales at your business is going to be different than mine, unless you have the exact kind of business that's me. And it's still not going to be identical. You're going to, your businesses have, have strengths and weaknesses and different things that they need to work with. And I think that getting that figured out and that's part of like understanding that journey 
and all of it. And then when you look back and, you know, the man, these sales episodes always go so fast to me. We're here at the 43rd minute. And, um, <laughs> you know, like when you look back at our conversation, what, do, what do we leave out that was crucial here? Um, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said at the beginning of the show, like trying to squeeze this into one, one episode is almost impossible. Like this, like, well, you have a whole, you have a whole podcast about it. You know? Yeah. So what, what are, what, what would you want to say to everyone on the way out here? Don't be afraid of sales. Get help, but get the right help. Too many, too many founders or even salespeople or other people go and listen to somebody that has a really large audience or a large voice online. And I say this, both you and I have an audience, but uh, sometimes those people are not the right people to be listening to yeah. for you. Just because somebody's the best salesperson at uh, Salesforce does not mean that they will succeed or come even close to succeeding at an early stage startup. So you need to look at that person's history and experience to see if it's relevant for you before listening to that person. So I think, I think that's that get started, get help. Don't be afraid of that and just keep pushing forward and learning. I think if you're, uh, you know, where I want to leave out is, I mean, there's obviously some, I think the thing for, if you want to, startup sales, like you said, are really different. I do think as a founder, even if you don't feel like you're a salesperson, you need to get in there and experience it. It'll help you understand what you're looking for. When you do go to expand your team, find people that are hungry to make deals, people that are active and outward, like that outbound nature of things. If you are talking to people like, ah, I don't really like sales. I don't see myself as a salesperson. I don't want to sound like a salesperson. If you hear any of those comments coming from your sales team, you need to find a different freaking sales team uh, because those are not them things, yesterday. Yeah, those are <laughs> not things that successful salespeople say. Um, and, you know, like I want hunters. I want people that are going to go out and look for business, but at the same time, aren't going to kill everything that they see before they get an opportunity to actually learn more about it. You know, so some of that, there's a fine balance there, but um, yeah. And, I, and here's the thing is finding great salespeople is tough because there's a small number of them. All salespeople will tell you they're great salespeople. Very few actually are. And they are usually as good a listeners as they are at, at verbal, if not even better. You know, so don't make the classic mistake of being, oh, this guy or gal is a natural salesperson. Well, tell me why. Well, they're a great talker. Eh, a lot really. of the best salespeople are actually introverted. So, yes. Yeah. Well, it, with some things, with some things. Like if you're like a barker in a, at a kiosk, it's probably not the best thing for an introvert. But I'm, yeah. I'm super introverted, but I love going to uh, expos and, and things like that. Uh, like that's the best way. I, the reason why I love it is because I get to perfect my pitch and I get to learn because you get to see people live and get their feedback right away. But I prefer to sit at my home and not see anybody. I'm super introverted. I, you know, for an extroverted, for, for someone that people think is an extrovert, I'm the same way. People are like, yeah. you must get out and do stuff. All no, no, <laughs> I struggle with that. That's yeah, I can, I can do a lot of that. On the flip side, you know, one thing you just mentioned about practicing that pitch, and I think one thing we shouldn't leave, always be working on making it shorter, people. Like the, the, I, one I, sentence. I mean, yes. Quick, what do you do? We build software teams. How do you do that? We do it quickly and affordably. 
Okay. And, and right there, if you're not responding, then you're probably not interested. You mentioned like an expo. Hey, what do you guys do? And you tell someone that if it's just a blank stare and they don't care, that's when you say next. And then you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. And then you're going to hear someone finally say, oh, wow, we've got a lot of openings for that. Maybe we should talk about it. That's the one you want to keep moving with. You know, the people that are walking by that don't care. Oh, we don't even do. Do you guys have any software products or technology? No. Okay. That's not the right lead for me to chase. So try to chase the right leads. But the more of them that you see, the better off you're going to be. Make sure you Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you're at an expo before jumping into your pitch, my recommendation is always to qualify them. Say, oh, I'd be happy to tell you what we do. Before that, so I could put it in context for you, what do you do? What do you do, right? Yeah. yeah. And if they're telling you that they run in an aquarium repair business, yeah. trying to sell them software services is not a very good approach. I tell so, them then, well, here's what we do. We give you free pens. Here you go. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I might not even give a free pen on that one. I might just yeah. keep a pen because they're just going to stir the aquarium up with it. But you know, last time I had an aquarium, it did not look like what you saw as a dive instructor. I will tell you that much. You wouldn't have wanted to jump into the aquarium, which is also why I don't have an aquarium anymore. Hey, everyone, make sure to check out Adam's podcast. Go to startupsales.io. And remember that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io. There's a link for that in the show notes. Adam, I'm all fired up. I'm going to go try to sell something. So I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Thanks. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.